All right, here we are. Hello, welcome to Seattle on Tap. I am Courtney Jacobson. And I am Ashley Toten. Welcome to our podcast where we talk about the beer we're drinking and crazy history and probably some murder and mostly just weird shit that happened in history. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Crime, paranormal, weird history shit. Yeah. When do we get to do future? I want to do the so, future. Story. So one of these episodes, we'll just make up some stuff. And <laughs> so in, yeah, we'll start making predictions. That sounds good. <laughs> no, we should have prediction corner. We should. <laughs> None of it will be true, but we're going to laugh about it. <laughs> You might get oh, to hear me owl here in a second because a fire truck is going by. Well, of course, because we're recording and there has to be, it's like some unwritten rule that we were never in on the memo where it has to be a siren, a garbage truck, or um, landscapers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my kid. <laughs> <laughs> She's pretty quiet. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's been going on? Oh, just working and we were kind of having a pre-funk chit chat. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to ease my back into like healthy habits. So I've been trying to like peel myself out of bed every morning and do yoga and then do my 20-ish minute walk to work and you know, get back on track, um, which has been, I would say, 82% successful. <laughs> it's mostly successful. In the mornings, I'm like, fuck you, alarm clock. Yeah. And just keep sleeping. Yeah, I, <laughs> you and I both have the Apple Watch and kind of pay attention to our rings and stuff. And um, I had a week there where I was fully obsessed like my obsession of closing my rings got to the point where it was like I would stand at the end of the night and you know pace around because I just needed 50 more points or you know something stupid like that and I was like hey honey do you want something from downstairs I'm gonna go up and down the stairs three more three times <laughs> he would just laugh at me like can we watch the show please <laughs> why are you jumping around <laughs> I totally and, done jumping jacks when I've got home because I'm like, I just got to close these rings. Yeah. <laughs> it's like on one hand, yeah, it's good because you're, you know, you're still moving your body and that's, you know, it's a good thing to do because the longer you move your body, the, or the more you move your body now, the longer you can do it in old age, um, is the theory. But, uh, yeah, so I got to where, I wanted to close my rings seven days so I could get that one award. <laughs> I got my yeah. award and then didn't do anything the next week. I was like, I got it. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Mission school. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I've been getting back into my my yoga routine this week too. <laughs> yeah, the struggle is really real some mornings especially Blix, I was telling you, he, I like sit down and I'm like 
sitting Indian style, like relaxing myself and mm -hmm. trying to get ready to start. And he'll just lay across my lap <laughs> or just start aggressively running on me to try to get me to pet him. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll, I had told you I had to shove him because he was sitting on my lap and he was like, as I went to roll over into tabletop, he was just like not moving a bunch. So I just shoved him off me and he looked at me like, how could you? <laughs> and he's currently sleeping on my yoga mat because I did not put it away because I didn't have time. Well, that's your fault. It's his now. <laughs> so we have pets now again, which is pretty exciting you guys have been wanting that for a while oh my gosh we they're for them they're starting now that it's you know a few days later they're starting to get used to us we've been able to pet them a little bit but they still kind of you still run away if you walk up like you're gonna try and pick them up or anything but we're getting there tell them what the names are oh yeah 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 so layla came up with the name Lupe, which is just adorable. And then Gordon and I, of course, were like, well, we've got to name it something beer related because obviously. And, <laughs> and so we came up with Citra, which is a hop varietal. One of our favorites, one of our many favorites. He didn't like the name Mosaic. He thought maybe we'd just end up calling her Mosey. So mm -hmm. we ended up with Citra. So we have Lupe and Citra. <laughs> They're super cute. Um, what else is going on? Oh, we did a contest. If people are following us on Instagram, you may have um, seen that a few weeks back that we threw out a contest giving fans the chance to pick our topic for the 25th episode that comes out next week. Um, so Daniel, your, your man of life <laughs> is one of the winners because he followed all of the directions. <laughs> um, so we'll be getting to hear one of us tell the topic he chooses and then our friend Sydney she also was one of the winners and uh, the other one of us will tell her topic of choice. So that'll be exciting. Stay tuned for next week. And we won't tell you guys until the day who's telling what story. Right. Which the, it'll be the first time that we know what the other one is covering beforehand. Yep. But you still won't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And with I that, should we, what's that? What are we doing? Oh yeah, we should drink. Yeah, drink, drink, drink. You're really too sober for this. I think you're right. I know. <laughs> you're just, Ashley's holding up her can and floating it across the screen for me to see. <laughs> what are you drinking? Oh man, I am drinking general okay so i am drinking the matchless crispy boys dry hop summer lager um they are down in tumwater washington it's not the first time oh my god it's also not the first time i've had their beer yeah obviously 
since we've been doing this. I just really dig them. Mm-hmm. They kill it all the time. But um, reading their personal description, uh, because it was so good, I just was like, I have to read that and not make up my own thing. Nice. Um, it says, all the crushability of an American light lager with the tropical hop character of a hazy IPA. This summer crusher was brewed with German malts and juicy Australian hops, creating a common ground for hop heads. Yeah. bros, lager slayers alike. Um, <laughs> it's only 4.2. Oh, uh, uh, nice. It, I'm going to read you the hop varieties. So it's uh, Vic Secret, Ella, Galaxy, and Callista. Ooh. Uh, what else? Old World Lager Yeast, Pilsner Chip and Flaked Rice Malts, just to be so it, really extra. But. So is it kind of hazy with it being flaked? Um, not as much as I thought. Okay. Um, it's definitely not like crystal clear, but it is too easy to drink. Nice. It is dangerously delicious. Do you have 30, but... Do you have a second one on hand just in case? No. Uh-oh. I had a shower beer the other day and that was it. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am drinking Tunnel Vision DDH with Citra. So, I mean, Citra, I got the cat. That's her name. So I thought I would drink that. Plus, Tunnel Vision is kind of in my mind pertaining to the story so that i'm going to tell but um this is a hazy ipa uh 6.8 abv um it is from bearded iris brewing out of nashville tennessee and they say that it is crafted with mosaic and citra hops this hazy also features the unique qualities of Eldorado lupulin oil, which I, it's, that's a new thing for me, having, um, like, hop oil in it, and at first I'm like, wait, that's kind of odd, is there going to be oil at the top? I don't really understand how they do that, but it's kind of cool because it, you know, when you're drinking just sort of a, a Northwest style IPA, and it's really, um, got that kind of super punch you in the face hops kind of bitter throughout the whole sip of beer Mm -hmm. um this one kind of starts off like it's gonna be like that but then it's quickly fades away to where it's not it's just like a teensy bit of bitter and then it just goes away (laughs) and then it's all that those floral notes that the rest of the hops have in there so it's pretty cool it's very citrusy and they say that it's going to taste like a lemon starburst. I don't really taste that, which is probably good because that to me seems a little too sweet. And this is not super sweet, but. Would you say the oil situation, like that it's sort of like an essential oil sort of a situation? Yeah, like- just more that flavor there for the, the nose and a bit of flavor. Interesting. El Dorado hops are fucking delicious. Mm-hmm. One of my faves. That's when we, I, I'm, I'm saying this and it's making me sad before I even say it, but fresh hop season's coming. Yeah. 
the end of the fall or the beginning of the fall rather through the fall um i'm so fucking sad because we the beverage place um we host the second largest fresh hop festival in the mm. state yeah uh, and we can't do it this year and i'm so fucking sad and the fresh hop time is one of my favorite because it's usually i feel like a lot of breweries do single varietal fresh hops so you get oh to yeah the really like what they're all about yeah um we're still gonna have a shitload on tap but we don't get to do the festival and i'm so fucking sad <laughs> as i started saying it i was like this is so sad i know <laughs> um yeah i like you said you know you guys will still have lots of good ones on tap you just won't be doing getting all the to do about it which is half the fun sometimes, but yeah, I agree. I love fresh hop time because, oh, oh, got a new one. <laughs> okay. Look, so we talked for almost an hour first. And we I did talk for a long time. Yeah. So I just grabbed a different one, which is also from Matchless. I might as well just, I'll throw it on the website yeah. too for some giggles. This is, it's also a cool can. Quantum Visions Hazy IPA also from Matchless. Mm-hmm. If you can really see the can, it's the ooh, that's cool eye. with the big eyeball there, looking all. Um, this has Eldorado Citra Mosaic hops, Pilsner and flaked oats, Loki yeast, which I have never even heard of, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's one of those <laughs> Nordic yeasts, the Loki. Finite, infinite. that's all for the description. Finite or infinite? Question mark. Well. <laughs> It's good. It's definitely finite because you're going to finish it. (laughs) I certainly am. (laughs) Because that is what we do. I realize that half this podcast is supposed to be about beer and we've just been talking at length about beer, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I'm dying to know what your fucking story is first. Okay, I'll start. Um, (laughs) No. (laughs) I know, we're... It's funny. We're so chatty today. <laughs> well, um, there's more shit going on. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, so today I'm going to tell you the story of the Warehouser Boy kidnapping. Um, I don't even know what that is. Okay. So if you live in the Pacific Northwest or or even just Washington State, you know that there is a lumber company, lumber and paper company, Warehouser, logging, basically. Um, Warehouser is the last name of the family that started this company in 190, I'm going to get it wrong, it's either four or five, one of those. (laughs) Um, German immigrant came over. Tried his hand at logging various places, um, was very successful to the point where he then came over to um, the Washington Pacific Northwest region, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, that all of it. And with the help of, I think it was like 14 or 15 different investors, but 900 acres. 900? Uh, yeah. A whole lot. Of. That's a lot of trees. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord, that's a lot of trees. Good Lord. Um, 
Anywho, so his family essentially built a logging empire. They still own quite a bit of forestry land in our state, along with Oregon and Idaho. Um, the family is not as much hands-on with the company anymore, but they, of course, still have many shares and are for sure owners still. But this is, um, I mean, we're all familiar enough with the Lindbergh baby kidnapping to know that that was a thing. It was a big ordeal. Um, it happened in, in the early 30s, actually 1932. And it was so, such a big, like major covered story that it actually spurred kind of a, like a fad, I guess, of people kidnapping wealthy children or wealthy family members in order to get a big ass ransom. Now keep in mind, 1930s, we're talking great fucking depression time. So a whole lot of people desperate for money, willing to do anything necessary to survive. So with that, um, we go to May 24th, 1935, the nine-year-old heir to the Warehouser fortune, George, was kidnapped with um, the intention of getting a pretty big ass ransom out of his parents. Um, little George, like I said, nine years old, he was released from school for lunch a little bit earlier than usual, just kind of an odd thing. He, nothing in particular happened that day. It was just like, oh, like, 15, 20 minutes early, whatever. Go ahead and go home for lunch now. So his usual routine, leave school, walk over to where his sister went to school, which was the Annie Wright Sem Seminary. Okay, also, sorry, I forgot to say, this is all in downtown Tacoma, Washington, which at the time was a pretty major town. Mm -hmm. um, equally, if not, bigger than Seattle in industry. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Like, What's that? Like, you can tell just by the architecture down there, like mm -hmm. a lot of the shit was there before a lot of the stuff down in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's more and that's a story for another podcast, but it, a lot of it has to do with um, the railroad. Anyway, and shipping <laughs> and stuff. So back to these guys. So May 24th, 1935, George is walking home from school for lunch break. Like I said, his normal schedule was leave school for lunch, walk over to Annie Wright Seminary, which is where his school, his sister went to school. He and his sister would then get into the, um, the family car and be taken by their family chauffeur so if that gives you an idea of during the Great Depression, how much money they had, um, <laughs> and their chauffeur would take them home for lunch. However, um, 
he's nine and he's a restless little boy and he gets there early and he does not want to sit around and wait. He's like, screw it. I'm just going to walk home. Mm-hmm. Um, so he doesn't wait for the chauffeur. He doesn't wait around for his sister. He takes right after, like right next to the Annie Wright school is the Tacoma Lawn Tennis Club. So big ass country club with a pool. I looked it up. It looks awesome. I wish, you know, anyway. <laughs> um, so <laughs> he takes an overgrown path that is bordering the Tacoma Lawn Tennis Club grounds. And he emerges onto the street. And there is a car sitting on the street that happens to have two men sitting in it. One of them gets out. It's a 1927 Buick sedan. Um, And just in your mind, picture the, you know, 1930s gangster cars and that's, and it's green and that's what it looks like. Um, So the man that was in the passenger seat gets out and walks up to George and is like, Hey dude, um, can you give me directions to stadium way? Which obviously is a full on setup because that's like if they just kept driving to the end of this road to like six more blocks down this road, they would intersect stadium way. Um, and so just as George is like, Hey, yeah, you just keep going down the road and you're almost there. You know, um, these guys <laughs> grab awesome. George. Snowy is like out fucking cold. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is like so distracting. It's like a chainsaw sitting on the couch next to me. Oh my god. That's all you need to do every time we record. Just lay down the yoga mat and he won't bother you. That's funny. So so the guy grabs little George, throws him in the back seat, covers him with a blanket and is like you know, don't fucking move, don't fucking talk, or we'll hurt you or something, you know, whatever. So he lays there in the back seat, covered by a blanket, and um, they take him away. Um, now back at home, Mr. and Mrs. Warehouser are realizing that their son is missing because, you know, their daughter makes it home, and Uh, They do a little search around the area, kind of follow along his path of where he would have walked, ask a few neighbors, ask a few kids, you know, just kind of a quick little, where's George kind of thing. And they, they go to his school, which sidebar, he went to Lowell and elementary. And that's where I went to kindergarten. Kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so they follow the path, blah, blah, blah. He's not there. So they call Tacoma police and they finally get there. Everybody's freaking out, trying to figure out what the heck to do. As they're all kind of trying to get a gauge of what to do next, what could be the, you know, maybe this is, maybe he was taken, trying to figure out what's going on. A letter uh, arrives via U.S. Postal Service, hashtag let's all support our post office right now. Um, 
a special delivery, so like certified mail basically, um, is addressed, it gets to the family and it's addressed to whom it may concern. And on the back of the envelope, it has little George's signature oh. written in pencil. Yeah. Um, the letter itself lays out a 21 point ransom demands, essentially. It is, you know, listing out all of what they're requiring so that these, this family can get their little nine-year-old Georgie back. Um, they're saying that they need to get $200,000 ransom, which in today's money is $378,250. Dang. Yep. Um, in unmarked fives, tens, and twenties. Let's pull that right out of my ass. No problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it instructs George's dad, J.P. Warehouser Jr., to take out a personal classified ad in the Seattle Post-Intelligencer within five days or as soon as they have the money together, letting the kidnappers know that they're willing to cooperate. And it says to tell, um, to have this ad say, we are ready and then sign it, Percy Minnie, like Minnie Mouse, but the last name is Minnie. Um, (laughs) The note went on to also say that after the ad was placed, the family would be then contacted by the kidnappers as to like what to do, where to put the money, how to get George. Um, So, okay. Now that we have a ransom note, police call the FBI and are like, okay, this is for sure a kidnapping. I think this is your jurisdiction. So the FBI take a look at the ransom note and they're like, yep, this is definitely in violation of the Federal Kidnapping Act, also known as Lindbergh's Law. So because of the Lindbergh Lindbergh baby being kidnapped in 1932, just three years prior, um, a law was passed making it illegal to send extortion demands through the U.S. mail, also making kidnapping across state lines a crime slash a felony crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though the FBI is like, okay, yeah, we're on it. This is our jurisdiction. Um, Mr. Warehouser is like, hang on. (laughs) You're not going to mess this up for me. I do not want my kid ending up dead. Uh, So do not, under any circumstances, do anything until I get my kid back home. They're like, okay, fine. You're rich, so we'll listen to you. Um, (laughs) So... (laughs) George's dad places two personal ads in the Seattle PI, which is, it's the post-intelligencer, um, to run the very next day, so day after George is kidnapped. Um, and the first one says, expect to be ready come Monday. Answer, Percy Minnie. And then the second ad says, due to publicity beyond our control, 
please indicate another method of reaching you. Hurry, relieve anguished mother, Percy Minnie. So they place those, the ads run exactly where they were told to run and they don't have any word for a few days. Um, then the family places another ad in the Seattle PI and it says exactly word for word what was written in the, um, the ransom note for them to say and it says, we are ready, Percy Minnie. So, and that ended up being published May 28th and that was just one day before the, um, the deadline that they gave in the ransom note. What is your face? You're like smirking. Well, I was like reeling the store and Blix went. <laughs> oh, I hope they can't hear that. I'm also like, I don't know how to make him stop. So <laughs> I don't hear it. Um, She's not like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I was like, like, what did I say? Did I say something wrong? <laughs> did I mispronounce a thing? <laughs> just looking at me like, hee hee hee. <laughs> I just keep being like, when it gets really loud, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for giving me a little mini drink break here. <laughs> oh, hey, you betcha. I can even uh, play you some little jingle tunes. And we're back. I hate to break it up, but I have the rest <laughs> of my story to tell. <laughs> All right. All right. Places the ad May 28th, day before the deadline. Um, okay, next day, Mr. Warehouser receives another letter in the mail from the kidnappers, and it tells him to go to the Ambassador Hotel in Seattle at 7 p.m. and register under the name James Paul Jones, then to await further instructions. So, obviously, he wants his kid back, so he fucking follows the directions. Um, so he's at the Ambassador Hotel. And at about 9.45 that night, uh, a taxi driver delivers a note straight to him saying, drive to this specific location. It was in Rainier Valley. So that's like South Seattle. Um, for those that don't know our areas. And to look for a white cloth on a wooden stake in the ground. When he got there, he found that little white cloth and a wooden stake. And there was a little note in a tin can just below it on the ground saying to go forward 700 feet to another cloth with on a stake and then to keep the car running with the dome light on and follow instructions. So he goes there, he sees the stake, he doesn't see in any other note or anything. So he sits there, car's running, dome lights on, he's waiting, waiting, waiting. It's like three hours go by and he's basically like, okay, I either have to go home or I'm spending the night here. So he leaves, goes back to the hotel and I am talking past my notes here, hang on. Okay, so goes back to the hotel and the next morning, Mr. Warehouser gets a call uh, to him at the hotel 
from a man basically just yelling at him like we gave you instructions you didn't follow the instructions don't you want your kid back kind of a thing just berating him and he's like whoa 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 i followed all of the instructions there was no second note i waited as long as i could i didn't know what to do so i just came back here and they're like okay okay you get one last attempt and then you get no other chances so wait for more instructions and then the guy just hangs up a few hours later mr warehouser gets another call this time from a man who is clearly faking a european accent <laughs> and this person is telling him to go to 1105 east madison street that's in seattle and to look for a note in a tin can he gets there ends up following going on a like crazy goose chase basically like go to this location there's another tin can go to this look and just follows a series of these tin cans with notes in them and yeah they're basically just like punishing him for not following not being able to follow their directions the first time um and then he finally gets to a spot where it's kind of out of the way ish and tells him to pull over same situation park keep the car running leave the money in the front seat everything it's a little more detailed this time leave the money in the front seat dome light on keep the car running and and walk back to the highway just walk away he gets yeah. roughly 100 yards away from the car going towards the highway and he hears some noises it turns around just in time to see a man run out of bushes that are on the side of the road and jump it, you know, look in the car, jump in it, drive away. He's like, okay, I guess they got their ransom money now. <laughs> so goes to the highway, catches a ride. Somebody drives him back home to Tacoma because he's like the richest man in Washington, basically. Um, and he just kind of is like okay i did my part hopefully we can now get our son mm -hmm. by this time it is the 30th that he's getting home after doing all this stuff may 30th um another day goes by by june 1st uh because there's 31 days in, in May, just in case people don't have that on the top of their head. Um, by June 1st, super early in the morning, his son makes it home. Oh, I was really hoping the story was going to make me a sad girl. Okay. <laughs> so now to hear George's point of view. All right. So rewinding back, we know he got thrown in the back of the seat, in, in the back seat, covered with a blanket and told to shut up and, and lay down. So he says that he got driven around for roughly a little over an hour. He could hear that the men were in the front seat whispering to each other. Then finally the car stops and they, t they hand him an envelope and tell him to sign in pencil the back of the envelope. He's like, okay, that's weird. Then they put a blindfold on him and they carry him for a little while and he says, that he thinks they carried him over like a little stream or a little river or something because he could hear the rushing water. Then they set him down 
and lead him, mind you, he's blindfolded, so he doesn't know where he is. They lead him by the hand into, he's guessing some woods because he could feel um, like bushes or trees brushing against him while he's walking. Then they finally stop walking and they put him in a large hole and that was dug into the ground and take his blindfold off and um, chain up his feet so he doesn't run away. And then they cover the hole with a board. Then you can tell that they kind of, it seems like the guys take turns guarding the hole because he could hear them like, okay, it's your turn. And then after a while, they'd be like, okay, it's your turn or whatever. And then they hear them kind of talking a little bit. And he thinks that they said something about maybe they're going to get caught. So mm -hmm. around 10 p.m., the men take him out of the hole, put him back in the car, cover him back up drive him around for about another hour, and then they stop, take him back out, walk him through some woods. This, time's he, this time he's not blindfolded. Um, they tie him to a tree as they dig another hole to put him in. <laughs> Which is just kind of odd that they're tying this kid to a tree considering what his family's fortune is made of. Trees. Right. Um, okay, so they throw him in this hole, and they put one of the seats from the car in there, and two blankets, and then they cover it with tar paper. So, okay, that was the, like, probably midnight-ish on the day he was taken, so May 24th. On the 26th, they finally take him out of the hole in the ground, the second oh. one he's been in, and they take they put him in the trunk of a car and they drive him. Um, now, some of this is going to be like investigators kind of speculation in a combination of, of things that he put together from his memory. Also, remember, he's nine. So, you know take that into account. All right. So they put him in the trunk of a car and they drive him to Idaho. Um, and then they put him in a closet of their like hideout house. Um, and this closet or tiny room had a mattress, two chairs and a small white table. And that's basically where he hung out until the evening of Friday, May 31st, he happened to, they took him out of the room and they're telling him that they're going to take him somewhere else because his dad is going to meet him there, meet them there or, and come get him. Um, he happens to look over and there's a watch on a table and it says 5.55 PM. So he knows it's the evening. Anyway, so May 31st, Friday night, um, gets put back in the trunk of a car, taken to a shack that is just four miles south of Issaquah, Washington. And they leave him there. It's about 3.30 in the morning on June 1st. And they're like, stay here, wait for your dad. He's coming to get you. Um, so basically like they had 
done this whole back and forth with Mr. Warehouser for however long. They finally get their money. They drive back out to Idaho and then they take him to Issaquah. Um, but like I said, he's a nine-year-old freaking boy and he's not trying to wait. <laughs> he gets bored after a while. And so he leaves the little shack and he starts walking down this road. He walks roughly six miles and oh, comes, yeah, comes up to a farmhouse where he goes up and tells this farmer, hi, I'm George Warehouser. <laughs> and, you know, his family had been, for the most part, famous because they're super wealthy and own majority of industry in Washington. And so pretty much everybody knows what's going on. Um, so the owner of the farm, Luis Bonifas, um, takes him into the house and his wife, um, feeds George some breakfast, kind of, you know, wipes him down a little bit cause he's all dirty and stuff from being in actual holes in yeah. the ground and <laughs> gives him some dry shoes and socks. And then after he's kind of mellowed out a bit um, and had some food in him. Probably really scared too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mr. Bonifas then drives the boy to, he's like, okay, let's get in my car. I'm going to drive you to Tacoma. And um, at one point he stops in Renton because it's finally 630 in the morning, which he's figuring, okay, now I could probably get away with, um, calling the family and letting people know he's on his way. Like they might be up at 6.30 in the morning. Um, so he stops in Renton at a 76 station and has the gas station attendant call the Warehouser family home. They're not answering yet. Um, so he has the guy call Tacoma Police Department to say, all right, we got George, he's safe, and we're taking him to Tacoma. Um, so now we know that, um, like for the most part, all the news going on in the world at the time is pretty shitty. It's the Great Depression. We're almost coming up to, we're almost entering World War II. Um, and these, you know, wealthy families having kids kidnapped is a thing. So it's a freaking media circus outside of the warehouser home. And um, especially right now, because people know that the ransom has, has been transferred over to these kidnappers. So they're just waiting for any word of when the kid is going to be, yeah, returned home. So John Dreyer, who is a writer for the Seattle Times, is in Tacoma covering the story. He gets a hot tip that George is being taken home and, you know, is probably crossing, basically gets word of the farmer calling from Renton, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he jumps in a taxi and heads off Mr. Bonifas um, on Pacific Highway, which 
like Highway 99 is was kind of the main way to get north and south at the time. Mm-hmm. No I-5 at the time. Um, so he does end up hitting them off and he's like, hey, I'll give you $5 to let me take the kid home for the, the rest of the way. Somehow convinces this farmer to do that. Keeping in mind, okay, farm work was not a money maker. This, I mean, that was like the whole reason so many people were going hungry at the time as they were farmers and they weren't, you know, making the money, dust bowl, yada, yada. We know history. Um, and the guy is driving this dilapidated old ass, even for the time model T Ford. And he's like, okay, okay. I'll take $5 and go back home and you can drive him the rest of the way. <laughs> I don't know how I'm getting home with, you know, on this gas that I have in the car anyway. So he goes home. This um, reporter, Dreyer, sits on the floorboards in the back seat, has George crouch down, and take, has the taxi driver take back roads because he wants to avoid police intercepting them or other press intercepting them. And he proceeds to interview nine-year-old George without his parents. There were not laws about this back then. The whole way home. Now he's being forced to hide by another stranger in the back of a car. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Fucked up. Yeah. So he gets this extensive interview and they get to the Warehouser mansion and they drive str- in this taxi. They drive straight into the Warehouser's um, garage and Mr. Dreher jumps out and starts pounding on their um, like basement slash garage door. A family friend opens it, whisks little George into the house, slams the door very like unce- unceremoniously. But this Mr. Dreher guy races back to the hotel where he'd been staying in Tacoma, writes up his story, heads it off to, you know, calls it into the paper, and they run it right away. Right as they're, like, printing this up, and it's about to go out that morning, the family friend that had, like, whisked George into the house goes out, and he's, like, kind of liaison for the family at the moment and he's like hey you know george is home safe everything's good uh we ask that everybody keep all these details um out of the paper so that it doesn't harm mentally or emotionally harm harm george in his for his future yeah Uh, too late story gets run that morning it gets picked up by associated press and goes nationally in the papers everywhere (laughs) oh well he makes it he's fine he grows up he takes over the company and he does okay well um now we get to the captors kidnappers um during those eight days that george was being held captive and we're trying to, you know, do the handoff and all that stuff. Um, the police 
take and make a list of the serial numbers of every single bill that was in that bag that they handed off for the $200,000. And they, they wait until they get the go ahead from Mr. Warehouser. And that morning they publish in every newspaper the list of every single serial number in all the papers. The shop owners can be like, nope. Yep. Yeah. And so the very next day, uh, a man calls from a, um, a railway office in um, Huntington, Oregon, and says, hey, um, a $20 bill with one of those matching serial numbers was just used to buy a train ticket from here to Salt Lake City, Utah. And they're like, okay, cool. Now they release all their information to all these serial numbers to the FBI field office in Salt Lake City. They end up catching the wife. So there were three people in cahoots of this, not just those two men. Um, because think about it. These two guys are having to keep tabs on this boy and they get him out to Idaho, to this hideaway house. But then someone has to stay with the boy while the guys are out trying to maneuver and figure out getting the money back in Seattle. So, um, I'm now lost in my notes. Hang on a second. On June 8th, the very first arrest was made at a Woolworths in Salt Lake City. Um, the wife of this three-person team tries to make a purchase with one of the ransom bills and was caught. She's making like a 20 cent purchase at Woolworths, which was a like five and dime at the time, a discount store. And um, she's trying to make this purchase with a $5 bill. And the FBI had stationed a police officer at the, they called them like cashier cages because they, you know, they didn't have credit cards and all that shit back at the time. So they have to have money cages in all these major stores. Yeah. So they have a police officer at every money cage, cashier cage, whatever, for the major stores in Salt Lake City. Anyway, so they arrest her, and um, on once they get to this, the FBI Salt Lake City field office, um, they go through and they find in her purse that she has another bill matching these ransom serial numbers. Um, she says her name is Margaret Vaughn Metz. And she gives a few conflicting stories about who she is, what's going on, why she has this money, where she's living, all kinds of stuff. And finally, they get her address of where she's staying in Salt Lake City. They stake out the residence and they're looking for Mr. Von Metz. Um, they finally find someone there. They arrest him um, because he has the name Metz tattooed on one of his hands. 
he's fucking caught Mets handed. <laughs> um, gangsters with their own last names on their lower stomach or lower back. And like, I know. Like, okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, once at the FBI field office, they go through all the records, blah, blah, blah. They identify him as ex-con Harmon Metz Whaley, age 24. And his wife is Margaret Eldora Thulin slash Whaley. And she's only 19. Oh, geez. Uh, Yeah. The two of them met when he had just gotten out of prison in Idaho and they married an entire week after they met each other. Just love it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So Harmon denied any knowledge of the kidnapping, of course, blah, blah, blah. They finally get him to admit that he actually was one of the kidnappers. Um, and then he finally admits that he has another accomplice. It wasn't just him and his wife. And that accomplice is William Daynard, who he met while serving a six month. So Harmon was serving a six month sentence in the Idaho State Penitentiary. And Daynard was serving a 20 year sentence for bank robbery cool guy to know um in the same place so that's where they met they happened to run into each other when living in salt lake city and that's when they all decide let's move to spokane and we'll get a house together and then we'll just really get our life of crime started and they did all all these stupid crimes and um oh also, for some unknown reason, that Daynard guy was given a full pardon by the Idaho governor um, and was released after only serving a sh- very s- short amount of his sentence. So, Weird. yeah. Um, okay, so they moved to Spokane, Washington, and one day they're reading the newspaper, well, Margaret is reading the newspaper and she sees um, that the, so J.P. Warehouser was junior. She reads the obituary for J.P. Warehouser Sr. And in the obituary, it talks all about how basically filthy fucking rich he is (laughs) and how it's being left to his son junior so they make this plan to go to Tacoma and start staking out the family and while they're staking out the family just by happenstance George gets released from school early and decides to walk home they hadn't even fully made their plan yet but they were like uh shit we see him let's take him (laughs) Which is why they're whispering the whole way. What's up? That's what it sounded like. When they kept moving him around, that's what it sounds like. Like They didn't really have a plan. They were like, oh, now what do we do? Uh, uh, Yeah. (laughs) So they end up, they get both 
the um the whaleys get them in jail um and then they get uh after a few more years they finally track down miss this daynard guy in san francisco and he once he got down to california had another accomplice helping him exchange these you know recorded serial number dollars into basically wash the money and excuse me that accomplice he also met at the idaho state penitentiary of course <laughs> yeah so all four people go to jail and george gets to grow up and have Maybe. a somewhat good life <laughs> although semi-traumatized um and then the the kidnappers actually get punished for what yeah, yeah. That's a good story i know i thought i would yay for good stories <laughs> <coughs> but yeah i just loved that i mean it's a major part of our state's industry and kind of a a major family aside from the Nordstrom family in our state yeah. and not a ton of people know about that kidnapping so I've never heard of it until you told me yeah um George's son actually passed away uh not terribly long ago a few years ago at like the age of 59 from a surprise heart attack that's really young yeah george jr it's kind of crazy. crazy but yeah well should we take a beer and tinkle break and then I, yes Definitely. i'll be right back okay Okay, I believe that kid was missing for that fucking long. I know. For eight, I mean, eight days. Sometimes it's longer. <laughs> I mean, you told us the story of the kids in the freaking bunker. So, yeah. That was longer. <laughs> longer. Oh, and then there were the, the three women for how many years in that guy's house yeah that fucking story haunts me to no end yeah that's 13 years 14 years it's a long fucking time yeah yeah that's <sighs> freaky so i'm kind of i mean technically it's still a true crime story mm -hmm. but i as we've talked about a bazillion times on the podcast, sometimes I smoke pot and sometimes I'm still stoned when I go to bed. And sometimes <laughs> I read true crime things while I'm in bed and go down rabbit holes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you are not alone. <laughs> um, I, so the reason I'm like, aside from the fact they make killer beer, the reason I'm so heavily focusing on drinking Tumwater beer is because that is where my story takes place yet again. Uh-huh. 
is a um, unsolved Ooh. missing persons case that is wild. <laughs> That's why I was like, weird that our stories are kind of similar. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> okay. but a little bit different, but similar. Yeah. Um, so as I said, I happened upon this sort of by chance. Um, mm -hmm. I was really surprised I hadn't heard about it because it's pretty current. Um, and I hadn't heard anything about it. And the circumstances are spooky. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it. Yeah. Um, so this is the disappearance of Logan Schendelman. Um, Logan was born June 27th of 1996 in Olympia, Washington. Logan's mother was of mixed race, and his father was a Saudi Arabian businessman who returned to Saudi Arabia shortly after Logan's conception. Um, his mom and this man didn't really have a relationship. I think that pretty much goes without saying it was sort of a one-night stand, probably, situation, or a brief gotcha. encounter, a few dates, maybe. But yeah. that also goes without saying Logan had no relationship with his father. His yeah. dad was, like, not around. Hmm. Um, Logan would grow up primarily living with his grandmother and half-sister, um, and just before his disappearance, he would reach out and contact the, quote, black side of his family, which I think may have been his mother's paternal side. Hmm. Um, I'm not 100% on that, but it seems to make sense. Um, the family members he would end up meeting, uh, described their meeting as being really emotional and overall, but overall super duper positive. Like he was so happy to be able to connect, yeah. uh, you know, experience that side of his family. Um, his aunt would say that Logan seemed like he was looking for information about their family history since he had grown up primarily with his grandmother and only knew thing about the white side of his family. Okay. Yeah. So Logan's mom, Hannah, um, had kind of allowed her kids to end up living with the grandparents and become her legal dependents uh, because she wanted to attend art school in Seattle. So she <laughs> kind of fucked off and did her own thing, basically. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry, I have a rogue hair that is poking me in the eye. Just pull it out. We yeah. don't need that one. Okay. There's <laughs> no anymore. It's fine. <laughs> um, she did, however, so it's not like she abandoned them per se. She was living in Olympia still. They were in Tumwater. They were close to each other, but they didn't, she wasn't taking full responsibility yeah. for them. She wasn't keeping a roof over the head. Logan was described as being a quiet and sensitive guy, um, and he was also a star athlete at Tumwater High School and was described by everyone as a really great student. Uh, he later ended up enrolling and getting accepted into Washington State University and moved out to Pullman, but mm. dropped out after a year and moved back to Tumwater. Mm. He seemed, from all the research I did, like a pretty typical young man, um, just trying to make his way, worked various random ass jobs in Tumwater. Um, his grandmother would say that after returning from Washington State University, that he seemed a little bit lost and withdrawn and seemed to be at a loss of what to do with his life. That's right. Uh, yeah, and she also said that he became, she became aware rather, that he had started using marijuana pretty regularly at this point, which I is really irrelevant, but it's a thing she pointed out and felt the need to point it out too. I just don't think, you know. I mean, it know. depends on the person, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Others would say he just didn't seem like his nor normal and happy self and had begun to withdraw from his friends and family. So he mm -hmm. was experiencing some form of depression, clearly. Mm -hmm. um, but his grandmother also had said that, uh, in some interviews that I saw, that he had started encountering some issues surrounding racism. Mm. And he seemed a little conflicted in that regard because he was a mixed race young man. He's Saudi Arabian, black and white, essentially. That's a lot. And a white household in a very white area. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, he was having some both, identity. Like, where he went to college and in Tumwater, like both are very totally. Yeah. And just for the record, this kid was like, very handsome like I was like wow he was a good-looking young man like very handsome young man yeah uh, so on the morning of May 19th 2016 it seemed like any other day when grandmother and grandson would be getting ready for work and sort of in passing chit-chatting uh, before you know left for their jobs his grandmother said he seemed really nervous and she described the words she used were she seemed like he was really on a mission and claimed he had an epiphany huh. but she didn't get any like, any other info but she generally said he sounded a little more positive than he had been you know but excitable and nervous about something they were both running a behind so she said that they would finish this conversation when she got home and she was to hear about it. And it sounded generally like she was being supportive like i really want to hear about this but right now we don't have time basically yeah Logan never came home. Hmm. So initially, uh, his half-sister and grandmother were too crazy worried. He was a grown-ass man by this point. He was 19. Uh, and they assumed maybe he stopped to visit his mom or like went to visit a friend. And being a little, starting to get a little more concerned as the evening went on, his grandmother decided to do the like iPhone tracker and see if she could see where his phone was, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the last time it had pinged to any tower was actually at a tower really close to his mom's house in Olympia. So they thought, you know what, that's confirmation. I don't know if he's probably at his mom's, no big deal. The next day, realizing this was not the case after having talked to his mother, uh, his brother went to the Thurston County Police Department and tried to file a missing persons report, but Thurston County is like this fucking big. I'm using my fingers as if y'all yeah. can see it. <laughs> it's very tiny. And they closed the weekend. So she, this is a Friday, by the way. So she goes and they're closed already. So she has to wait until the following Monday, Monday, May 23rd, 2016, to make Yeah, because no crimes system. ever happen on the weekend. Well, heck no. <laughs> so Um... <laughs> When giving her report, she was informed that his car had actually been pinged on May 20th after it was found abandoned at milepost 92 off I-5. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an area between Tumwater and Maytown, which I don't even know where the fuck Maytown is, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. So when his grandmother hears this, of course, she's like, well, I got to get his fucking car to impound. Whether he, you know, it's weird he's not there, but you can't leave his car in impound. It'll get fucking sold or whatever it's going to mm -hmm. be expensive to get out so she the longer the it's there the more expensive it is to get out yeah uh, so upon retrieving his car she found his wallet which still had some cash his driver's license and a debit card in it as well as his phone and several bags of like roads like road snack 
like chips and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, Several witnesses report seeing Logan's car on the highway the morning. Flex, settle down. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Here's a little. Yeah. All right. (laughs) I swear that's not me breathing heavily. It's the dog. (laughs) Um, So several witnesses report seeing Logan's car on the highway the morning of its impound. One report was from a woman that recalled passing Logan, who was standing at the rear end of the car with two men. Um, Her description of the two men was one was six foot with a blonde hair and a bowl cut with a tall and lanky build. And the other one having shoulder length blonde hair and wearing flannel and jeans, which I wrote in my notes. So we looked like every other fucking dude in the 90s. Cool. Right. This witness also said that she saw his car there when she was coming home from work that night, but the hood was now lifted as if it was like having some sort of a mechanical issue. Uh, On the day this witness saw Logan uh, and and his abandoned car, there would also be several 911 calls reporting a vehicle matching Logan's vehicle's description, swerving across three lanes of traffic, hitting the center divider, and then just stopping. And witnesses report that it didn't appear that anyone was actually driving the car. In fact, most of the reports said it didn't look like anybody was in the car at all. The car was just like, and crashing, right? Weird. So a passing driver who I, most of the reports I saw said it was like a a long haul driver, but it could have been, it doesn't really matter to be honest, but a passing driver did see uh, a man before this happened described as having brown or red hair jumping out of the passenger side of the car and running off into the woods just before the accident happened. Oh. So it was maybe in the passenger side and staging an accident is my thought. Odd. Uh, yeah, definitely not normal. Um, other reports that night would include seeing a naked teenager in the area. <gasps> Police followed up at thinking it might be Logan because the person was described as being quote, African-American or African-American descent, Uh they looked and never found this person. Weird. Uh, It's very weird. Police and volunteers were actually organized by Logan's uncle, who was a retired Thurston County Sheriff. Hmm. Um, And they would go, they would search the woods, the surrounding area, you know, within a few mile radius for him. They had helicopters come in and tracking dogs. All of the searches returned, no sign of him. He seemed to have literally just like vanished. So one humongous blow to this case was that because Logan's car had been impounded and otherwise disturbed before the front teams could actually look at it, yeah. they determined that like all possible evidence was just not usable in the car. Which I'm like, I don't I feel like you could still pull and extract things because you would know if this person's DNA was somebody that yeah, knew you do DNA and like rule her and a few people out. Right. This is also the mid nineties, so it's not like yeah the seventies you know what's going on. Yeah. So I don't know why why that couldn't happen. Uh <laughs> God licks. Okay. So <laughs> Just shoved him off the couch. I don't know if you saw that. I was like, if you don't stop licking your leg, I'm going to punch you. Just stop. I would never <laughs> punch the dog. I will shove him off the couch. Um, 
Okay. <laughs> so the forensics teams, I can't use the evidence, but they are able to pull his phone records, uh, which includes the GPS on this yeah. phone. Yeah. And able to see that he had essentially done a big, huge circle, which is very strange. So he started off heading south on I-5, and he turned around and went north for a little bit, not very far, and then turned around again and started going south again, and then the car stopped, which, and again, I don't know any, any specifics about this, but my gut would tell me he was trying to meet somebody. Or, like, maybe he changed his mind, like he was starting to, like, whatever he was planning, he was going that way and then he was like oh maybe i won't do it turned around i was like no fuck this i'm doing it it's very all very possible i wish i knew they don't weird Uh, it was noted when interviewing friends and family that logan's half sister had recently had her boyfriend move in um and it was reported that the two did not get along Uh huh the boyfriend was questioned and then was later cleared as a suspect after passing a polygraph test, mm-hmm. which I don't really trust a polygraph personally, but... I mean, yeah, there's a reason they're not admitted as evidence anymore. Yeah. I don't... I'm just like, that's the reason? He didn't lie. How do you know? You don't. Yeah. He just He's wasn't nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I got to take this sip. Oh, yeah. Definitely do that. I should do that, too. <sighs> so logan's family still actually looked at it maintains a facebook page dedicated to his disappearance Hmm. someone will be able to solve this case and just keep his story active um, and alive in the public eye because a lot of cold cases go cold because nobody's paying attention anymore well yeah i mean four years of course you that's not super long no they just caught the green river killer after how many fucking years they're not Green River, sorry. The Golden State Killer, sorry. Whoopsie! Yeah. That's, that's other, that's a different rabbit hole I was going down, don't worry. <laughs> uh, also, in 2018, Logan's case was actually profiled for the TV series Disappeared. I think it's on Indiv- Investigation Discovery. Oh, the IT or, or whatever network? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have that channel, but I don't either. I, but I, I yeah, <laughs> I had it for like a little bit when it was like the you get this for a week free kind of thing. Yeah, and then it's not free. I don't do it anymore. Yeah, same. Yeah, I'm not paying <laughs> extra for for my my serial killer habit. <laughs> yeah. uh, like I said, Logan was years old at the time of his disappearance and was last seen wearing a black windbreaker jacket, jeans, a white shirt and possibly Nike shoes. His family also noted that Logan had a severe peanut allergy, which required an EpiPen, um, but there was not one with him at his time of his disappearance, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing to throw in there. Because (laughs) it had a severe allergy, EpiPens aren't cheap. You'd think if he was, for example, running away, he would remember his EpiPen. Okay, good call. Yeah. Like if he was planning it. That's just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, police believe that Logan may have been suffering from mental illness, um, and has said that there is no evidence of foul play in this case. This is what the authorities said about this. And I'm like, I feel like there's plenty. I, well, I wrote, I personally think there is way too much eyewitness information to rule out foul play, 
I also think it's possible that he ran away. I do, even with or without the EpiPen. I think it's possible for him to be like, you know what? I'm fucking out of here. I mean, because, yeah, we, of things we know of the younger, late teens, early 20s, male species, they are forgetful. (laughs) Or I guess, I mean, just late 20s, early 20s, anybody forgetful, male or female. Um, and I also, there, I know there were a lot of eyewitnesses, all of whom don't know him and they all claim people, you know, it's like you, when you look at photo lineups, for example, folks will be like, he definitely had curly hair. And then that you get there and they're like, oh, it was sort of wavy, but that person interpreted it as being mm-hmm. really curly or whatever. Um, I mean, the witnesses it a certain way or, you know, or like, for example, what I, the note I wrote in here is like, just because one witness claimed that the, both the men were blonde, some people can't tell the difference between red and blonde or strawberry blonde for that matter, may have described, another witness described maybe the same person as being a redhead. Yeah. Or whatever. like maybe there was more yeah. info in Maple. Um, I also just wanted to say that, um, if anyone listening does happen to like, after hearing all of that information, be like, oh my God, this one time in 1996, I was cruising down the highway and it totally reminded me of this weird thing I saw. Mm, um, yeah. Any information is probably welcome. Um, and you can contact the Thurston County Sheriff's Office. Um, even if Logan did run away, which is, you're a grown ass man, you can do what you want. Yeah. Um, and or and or somebody knows where Logan is now, just mm-hmm. call Thurston County and be like, he's alive and fine. Because I don't want to use the word waste, but if he is fine, alive and well, you are wasting the resources where they could be focusing on folks that are actually missing. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, maybe there was some beef with his family that his family didn't want to talk about. And maybe he left for that reason, but like they don't need to know where he is like that's yeah. not really how it works. if you call the police and you're like hey i'm alive don't tell my family where i am all they have to do is tell the family we looked we found him and he doesn't want to be bothered yeah they will at least know that he's okay and that he's not dead in a ditch somewhere which you know of course is every parent or grandparent's nightmare yeah. um, whether he thinks they deserve to know or not we're all human and we all deserve to know if our loved ones are alive or not. And having said that, he, something fucking terrible may have happened to I am very disturbed by the details of him being at the back of his car. Because part of me is wondering like, okay, did his car actually start having a mechanical issue and he pulled over and mm-hmm. then the men walked up behind but then decided they were going to actually like mug him or kidnap him or do something fucking forward racist as fuck i was gonna say yeah what if it's some sort of racial attack that happened it's it's the possibilities really are endless but i'm hoping that by bringing it up folks will like look into it more and then maybe because they did post and by the way the um sketch that they did of one of the suspects this is the person with the longer hair yeah. He looks straight up horror movie. Like this person looks like a ghoul. Like, I was like, oh my god. Um, <laughs> and so I'm a little like, you y'all should look it up. You should look up 
this per picture and see if they look like somebody. Because that's, again, that's only four years ago. That person hasn't aged tremendously and probably mm -hmm. still lives somewhere between Olympia and here, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah, I'm hoping it's fresh enough in the world that more people will look at it maybe now. Because I didn't even know about it. Which yeah, makes me I, wonder how many people have ever heard of it, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I make a, f uh, whatever. We don't watch the news because it's, it's very, I mean, we, we're, we all know our news in the, in the U.S. is very sensationalized. It's very much like they do stories for ratings. So I don't watch it. Plus, you know, I have a kid that is spoiled as fuck and basically runs our TV. Um, so no news, but yeah, I haven't heard it. And it sounds like he didn't have a scoop worthy story in order for them to maybe make it such a big story on the news, even if they did cover it at all. It was probably a very small thing. So I, I also say, and I mean, mind you, one of his white family members was a cop um yeah the part of me is like i guess they probably wouldn't be talking about a young black man would they that's why we're having all of this oh, you know, yeah. social revolution that we're having yeah yeah it's all very concerning and upsetting but even yeah. though he was 19 he's still a fucking kid too i'm like Ugh. Yeah, i looked and, up he looked pretty hot he was a cute, <laughs> but then that's it. I'm like, oh, this fucking kid had so much going for him. He could have made he more cute babies someday if he married his significant other, you know, his soulmate or something. Never you never know. <laughs> Sad. Man, that's a bummer. Why didn't you go first so I could finish it with a happy <laughs> note? Damn it. <laughs> We could have been like, oh, I feel refreshed and rejuvenated. <laughs> no, it's it's better this way because maybe people do know something and it's better that they finish our episode with that fresh in the brain thinking maybe we can solve it. I mean, we are Seattle on tap and we will bring it up and then bring you right the fuck back down. <laughs> Maybe one of our 40 listeners will solve this case. <laughs> I mean, we do have a listener. Well, we have listeners now, what, Germany? Yep. The Ukraine, UK. Norway, UK. France. Uh, what am I forgetting? Um, shoot. Turns out we're kind of a big deal. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, we have, let me pull this up. Um, Ireland, that's the one I was forgetting. Obviously, many people, so many people <laughs> in the US. <laughs> um, we have a listener in Ireland, Germany, France, Norway, Ukraine, and the UK. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm really into it. Hi to all those folks. 
Hi guys. And I'm waving. <laughs> I'm wondering why we don't have a following in Italy considering I have friends there. I better talk to him. <laughs> and his family, well, he has some family in Italy still, but. Mm. Mm -hmm. I have family in Norway, so maybe that's who is listening. <laughs> that's your family. That's, yeah, it's my family. What's up, fam? <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay then. What's up? Where are you I was just wondering if you've had any shower thoughts. It's so weird because we, like, we don't see each other anymore ever because of the pandemic and shit. Yeah. We always have, like, Wednesday is the one day that we get to, like, full on just go crazy and shit shit that's not through text. And I'm like, tell me everything right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not our um, story swapping or random, like, here's the thing I think thought of and then laugh at each other. We're generally mm -hmm. just giving each other reasons to laugh at each other <laughs> all week long. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this thing I just fell over. <laughs> just get my knee again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. One of these things I'll learn how to walk. <laughs> oh man um we let's see all this okay here's the thing so we were let's see last thursday gordon and i participated in a um like big kind of live webinar thing through the seattle school like well through Arbor Heights Elementary, which is where my daughter goes. <laughs> Quotes goes. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so Seattle Schools has had to push their start day back a few days because everybody's starting remotely for arms in the air. We don't know how long. Um, and uh, they, are it's the largest school district in the state so they have a lot of shit to put together i'm not saying like they dropped the ball or anything but um they've had to push the start day back because of all the extra stuff they have to get together and um this webinar that we participated in was pretty funny there were some they opened it up to questions toward the end and I feel like it was just a bunch of people not listening through the whole thing and just waiting to ask questions at the end. <laughs> and if, and it was, <laughs> what's that? They were probably being answered had they listened. Exactly. Most of them, yeah. Or had they read an email that they had received earlier in the week. Um, but anyway, so a few of our friends, because we have like Layla's best friend, her parents are friends of ours. And then another friend that we just somehow kind of live parallel lives. And now our kids are in the same grade at the same school. Um, it was kind of, it was a through Microsoft Teams. So it looked like Zoom, but it was Microsoft. And so, like, there's a few points where we're just, like, smiling and waving and be making goofy faces at our friends and not listening to all the questions that were being asked. And we're all just laughing and, like, oh, we should probably not be the bad example. 
<laughs> it was pretty funny. But yeah, so we're trying to plan last minute for the last week, week and a half, week, what, two weeks or something like that, that we have until Layla starts homeschool. Yeah, which is super, really a big treat considering that you've still been able to start working again and you don't know when that is realistically going to happen. I, my latest word is maybe October, several question marks. <laughs> so shitty. Which, you know, I, that's my end of, towards the end of October is my 40th birthday and we're attempting a a trip hopefully for that so who freaking knows what's gonna happen there's a bunch of here's what i hope it's gonna happen stuff <laughs> yeah I know. it's right living right now is really strange i mean i shouldn't complain too much i'm employed we're alive we're healthy i'm yeah i have a yeah. place to live i have a kitchen full of food and a dog that is licking aggressively again. And you can pay <laughs> your rent. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But life is very uh, unstable feeling right now because you don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if my job is going to be able to last through winter because I don't know if, if numbers are going to spike once the weather right. gets colder. Um, and outdoor seating in Seattle only can last so long in the year. <laughs> Yeah, you know, what, three more weeks of that? No, Maybe. So I'm nervous about. Um, <sighs> and so that's really stressful. Um, even just trying to like week to week planning with the podcast stuff. Like, I mean, I think I'll have Wednesday off to record. You know, like, I think we can manage this. Right yeah. Now. yeah. Yeah. If y'all donate to our Patreon, it would make it a lot easier for this to keep happening permanently. One hundred percent. Hundred Um. Yeah. I um. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to take advantage of and find positivities of whatever we're going through, like. Okay, so I don't have a job, and maybe I make not nearly enough money in unemployment every week, but I am gonna go on a floating trip. And <laughs> honest, not to like drag this out forever and make everybody listen to us talking about our personal lives, but um, you and I, before we were recording this, we're talking a little bit about again, with me getting my shit together and trying to get up and exercise and get myself a little better on a healthier track. Yeah. Uh, go, you know, when you get to a point in that, when you're like, I'm not doing this to try to look like the supermodel I'll never look like, but you're focusing yeah. it on, I want to be strong. I want to be healthy. I want to do all these good things for myself mm -hmm. is when you're more realistically able to do that. Part of the pandemic is doing that to me where I'm still obviously still an anxious person, but my anxiety I've noticed is actually getting better. And I think it's because I'm being forced to deal with not mm -hmm. being able to plan. So I'm having to be more comfortable right now mm -hmm. rather than this is my, I, mean, I still have financial goals, obviously, but having to deal with, this is the only thing I can worry about right now lives in this bubble. 
and this is all that matters and I don't have to worry about this or this yeah. has sort of been helping me manage my anxiety. Oh, that's somehow. awesome. Kind of weird. I'm not there yet. I hope to be there at some point. I still have fits of anger because I basically, my anxiety gets to the point where it's, you know, inside, I push it down so much to the point where then I have a base, essentially a, like a fit where I'm angry and also not trying to show that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when I finally was like, Ugh. you know, when, and again, to show the contrast of fitness in this, mm-hmm. when you realize, like, like I was saying, well, I have stretch marks. So I have this, I have that. Well, you can't do anything about that. So you yeah. need to find comfort in this weird space. It takes time to figure it out. But like when I'm stressing out about, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't have a job this fall. Well, you have a job right now. Save money and don't freak out about fall. Yeah, figure that out in fall. Like I've been having to do that in my brain every day. Like you're fine. Everything's fine right now. Yeah. Just maintain that energy and blah, blah, blah. It's cheap to make and perfect in fall. (laughs) (laughs) I can afford that. Without a job or, and when my unemployment runs out. (laughs) To be fair, the dudes in the park are drinking plenty of beer. So I feel like we'll have that. (laughs) Cool. We'll just make some friends with the dudes in the park. (laughs) Downstairs. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah. If my beer tastes weren't so damn bougie. (laughs) Drink some warm Rainier. (laughs) (laughs) We're bad at that. I wouldn't know the difference either way, either would you. So, <laughs> turns out I'm just fine with Budweiser. So, oh also, my God. <laughs> wink, wink. You need to watch our video from the forest. Uh, still. And shout Very out to cool. Gordon for helping so much put that and edit that video because I would have done such a shitty job compared to what he did for us. <laughs> it looks great. And I'll thank you to Daniel too, because oh yeah, for all those directions and, and organization and yeah, direction. So after hearing all of that, I hope that you feel really, really intrigued to go watch it now. But you'll have to join the Tap Club yes. to do that. So it's super expensive. Five full dollars. I'm always like, oh, fuck, my tights have a hole. Still wearing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not leaving. So. <laughs> okay, well, to those that are still listening at this point, <laughs> thank you. Thank Please you. rate, review. If you haven't already, for sure subscribe because we do this every Monday. Um, I keep getting asked that so much. When's the next episode? Every Monday, dude. <laughs> They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. <laughs> I have faith. <laughs> Me too. Um, so until next Monday, um, drink good local beer. And please tip your fucking bartenders. Yeah. We love you guys. Okay, bye. Toodles. For more information, we can be found on Instagram at Seattle underscore on underscore tap. Email at 
sheattleontap at gmail.com or our website, sheattleontap.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And all of the Seattle on Tap original music is provided by Bubble Bathism, courtesy of the Subterranot Recording Collective.